Welcome to episode 294 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Jesse, how you doing, brother? Hey, brother. You yes. started that differently. I know. I got to throw things, throw things off a little bit. I'm glad to be back in the saddle here. Really enjoyed uh, having Brandon fill in the gap that I created when I had something else to do. It was a great episode, so thank you for spending a little time with him. If you haven't, listener, if you haven't listened to last week's episode on 1689 Federalism, uh, make sure you go listen to it. Brandon is just a top-notch, sharp dude. Um, it was great to hear someone who actually holds the position uh, describe and, in some senses, defend. Um, it wasn't our object or our goal to to try to like undercut it, um, but it was nice to hear him talk about that. I really enjoyed it. For sure. I think one of the great strengths of our conversations and the environment we tried to create with this little podcast is that this is a place for us. We know where we stand, right? I mean, yep. people, if they've listened to us for some length of time, have some sense of like our presuppositions that we bring to a conversation. So there's just no need to like have vociferous debate. It's actually yeah. more fun and more pleasant to let brothers and sisters dialogue. And Brandon was right on point. I really appreciated his perspective. And I yeah. thought that he did a really good job of putting boundaries and defining the rubric, creating the superstructure, which is the reason for why people hold 1689 federalism. So yep. while we would disagree about that structure, still there's something valuable in being able to hear and process to have lovely dialogue together. So it was fantastic. But that that's what happens. Like this podcast abhors a vacuum and that vacuum yeah. will sometimes <laughs> get filled with Baptists it's when true. one of us leaves. Or I mean, sometimes like Lutherans show up. It's weird. <laughs> Lutherans. Just like true. just like everybody gets sucked in and wants to be on the show. So I don't think we'll ever have like a straight up Lutheran co-host uh, or a, a straight up Lutheran guest like that the way we did at the beach. But um, yeah, it was great. And I think to underscore it, the best thing to take away out of that episode is how similar our positions actually are. So the, the differences right are, uh, in a lot of cases, matters of degree rather than uh, actual difference of kind. Um, there's obviously some significant differences in who's, who's qualified to join uh, the covenant and who's qualified to be a, a part of the visible church and all of those kinds of things and what particularly visible church membership means. It's a slight difference. Right. But for the most part, um, our, our Reformed Baptists, our particular Baptist brothers and sisters are uh, the closest theological cousins, I think, that that we have, um, which is it's the same thing we said last year when we talked about um, 1689 federalism. It's true. Uh, when we did that before. So, so yeah, thanks for doing that. If you haven't checked out that episode, make sure you go back and listen to it. It was phenomenal. It was really good. Brandon is just a great, great dude. He's a great brother. And he's now in our Telegram chat. Oh, So if yeah. you have not joined our Telegram chat, then you should uh, take this opportunity to go to t.me slash Reform Brotherhood and join in our Telegram chat. Uh, it's a lot of fun. We had a really great discussion about uh, Sabbath the other day. Uh, we had some really good discussions uh, recently about Second Commandment. Um, yesterday, we had some conversations about egalitarianism and and what that means and how that works out. So, um, yeah, so just join up. It's a great time to just chat with brothers and sisters and to, to um, you know, have theological conversation, share prayer requests. Um, Pete Smith is always coming in with fire. He's got like a whole catalog of tweets that he just, anytime someone asks a question, he just drops like a hundred tweets in the, in the uh, chat with references and stuff. He's like the Scott Clark of Twitter, I think, 
where he's just always got a link ready to go for whatever it is that you've got him to do, uh, whatever you ask him. I think Brother Pete is probably living the dream. I'm not sure how he's able to manage his life and his interactions in that group because it seems like he's just <laughs> always at the ready. It's true. It's true. Well, we, yeah, we appreciate that. We appreciate people being ready to jump in and, and keep that chat moving. So It's fantastic. And again, I want to just reiterate that by saying, even if you feel like you might not want to participate, that's okay. You can kind of just come in, be a fly yeah. on the wall, be a wallflower if you like, and just see what unfolds. Just grab some popcorn and enjoy the conversation as it all develops in real time. So it's really just a giant chat room. So it's yep. super, super fun. And speaking of, you know, we talked already about having Brandon on and being able to have these lovely intramural conversations of things that in some ways are open-handed that we have a lot more in common, but we're going to get to stuff today where we have to draw a clear line yes. where there is, there are answers, there are explanations, there is doctrine and theology in which we have to have a hard edge. And we're going to shift a little bit and talk about Christology on this episode. But of course, before we do that, let's affirm and deny a couple of things. What are you affirming? So I'm affirming, um, it's going to sound a little strange, but I have an Apple Watch and there's a little feature on your Apple Watch if you have one called mindfulness. And I know a lot of times people get all up in arms about mindfulness and I understand why. Um, I actually have found uh, or created, I don't know, caused, I've, I've found a way to use this a little bit differently. So instead of doing like a straight mindfulness exercise when my watch prompts me and says, hey, take a minute to breathe, or hey, here's a mindfulness meditation, um, I usually instead will take that time and I'll, I'll do the timer, I'll set it, and I'll, I'll take a chance to pray. And so it's a nice little reminder throughout the day. You can set alarms on it. Um, if you do the, there's a like a reflection feature on it now instead of just a breathing exercise. And it'll usually prompt you with like a little question that it um, is trying to get you to do a mindfulness exercise. But I've been using it to uh, prompt me to pray. Because one of the things that I personally struggle with with prayer is kind of like, what do I pray about? Like if I don't right. have some sort of like guidance or direction, I end up praying pretty much the exact same thing for the exact same people and, and for the exact same situations. So this mindfulness app is is trying to move you. It's like a like a journal prompt almost, but it I use it to sort of like direct my prayers. So one of the prompts last week was think about um, a way that you haven't been kind to somebody in the last week. Or um, there was another one that was think about the, a way that someone has done something generous for you. And so instead of just kind of praying aimlessly, um, you know, I, I usually start out, I follow kind of like the typical ACTS um, prayer model. Um, and so I, you know, I start off with acknowledging God's generosity, confessing my own lack of generosity, asking God to be generous uh, in blessing certain people or blessing me. Um, and then thank, you know, thankful for, um, I switched those around, but thankful for, <laughs> um, uh, God's generosity and answering prayers and, and, and blessing us in many ways. So it's just a helpful little way for me to sort of remind me to pray, but also then to help to sort of like point me in the right direction to get my, get my prayer flowing in terms of like, almost like a topic. So there's lots of, there's my watch knew I was talking about it. Um, there's lots of mindfulness apps um, or journal apps that you can get for both Android and iPhone that have similar functions um, that have like prompted journaling that would ask you a question or, or, you know, give you some sort of prompt to think about for your mindfulness exercise. So you could adapt really any of those for the same practice. And most of them allow you to set various reminders throughout the day, et cetera. So just think about that. It, it was a, it was a useful exercise for me. I found it really helpful to just, have that prompting and structuring. It's very meta. 
affirmation. You know? And I love yeah. it. You know, it just strikes me. Don't you think that this is one of those things where sometimes the baby gets thrown out with the bathwater? Like Christians, yeah. redeem this stuff. I understand you need to be guarded about it. So anytime yeah. somebody's like, hey, listen, you should undertake some med- meditation. And by that, we mean just empty your mind. Right. But this idea of getting more laser focused, of having time to set aside and to even to breathe and yeah. to think and meditate on the scriptures is really, really helpful. I used to wear a Fitbit all the time and I would undertake the the same type of thing, like a, you know, a a breathing exercise that you would sit down and I would use that as a wonderful opportunity to focus on maybe a couple of words from scripture, just sitting there and breathing over those things literally for five minutes is so remarkable because we just are people that rarely stop. We rarely stop with all of the things that all the stimuli that we're receiving and so I think that that's a really good recommendation that we ought to consider that. And anything that helps you do that better, especially in light of turning you toward God, toward his scriptures and toward time with him is going to be beneficial. Yeah. So I, I had this like theory a long time ago, I guess it's not really a theory, but this hypothesis about like Christians and Christians in particular who have like deep prayer closets, those who really take seriously communing with God. And I've often wondered if those people tend to be just generally something, how to say this in a way that makes sense, like generally better centered, better equipped to handle life, of course, because they're connected with God, but also I would say in addition to that, because they take seriously the processing of life with God. So that, you know, like those that find alternate means to do that, especially non-believers where, and they can be like really wonderful things or productive things like journaling. And there's nothing wrong with journaling, but like some people use that, I think as the way to process these deep, really deep things, what they're seeking for is a transcendent relationship with somebody who can help them and help them process it rightly. Not just like, cause journaling can be this weird kind of incestuous process, especially if you're not a believer where you're just kind of regurgitating on yourself, but there's, there's really no satisfaction. The only satisfaction I think that you can sometimes receive is just by putting it out there by getting it outside of you, but it's not really dealt with, if that makes sense. Right. So this idea that we would use any kind of tool, any kind of reminder, technology, uh, meditation, godly scriptural meditation, turning that toward the Lord himself and toward the written and full counsel of God is a really awesome thing. I just feel like we have to be careful about saying like, I'm not going to meditate. Like in many ways, of course, what we see just like anything in life is sin is just a perversion of something good. And here right. you have that perversion. And instead yeah. we, we define the perversion as the actual absolute definition. When in reality, God says like, meditate, chew the cud, you know, like meditate is often used in the Psalms. as like the term to describe cattle lowing, like this right. constant regurgitation of something. Right. And it is something, it's not this emptying. It's actually the bringing in of the scriptures and the counsel of God into the center of your being by the power of the spirit so that you might be transformed by it and change from it. So you just got me like all animated over. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, Apple Watch I think recommendation. if you ask most Christians who honestly answer that they struggle with prayer, why they struggle with prayer. I think the most common answer you get is some sort of variation of like, I get distracted or, you know, I don't know what to pray or my mind wanders or like, I just, it just seems like it's not productive. And one of the things, you know, when you study mindfulness or meditation, it's not even really, I don't even think it's really accurate to call what most people are calling meditation these days to call it meditation because it's not... 
mindfulness exercises generally are not about emptying yourself. It's about kind of like focusing on a particular thing, um, calling to mind certain emotions or being aware of thoughts that are going through your head. It's really more about like being self-aware, which has its own pitfalls. It's not the same as Eastern meditation, which is about all about like voiding thought out of your head and being like a blank slate. That's not good. Uh, it's, it's more about like turning inward, which also isn't good. But one right. of the things that those practices do, and this is backed up by lots of scientific studies and things, is it teaches you to be comfortable with sort of um, a lack of stimulus. So right. a lack of stimulation. So when we as Christians say, well, I have a tough time praying because I get very distracted. Well, if you do some of these mindfulness exercises, and again, not the Eastern meditation stuff, not the spiritual, not contemplative prayer, that's not what we're talking about. But like, if you pick up an app like Balance on your iPhone um, and do some of their like breath counting exercises and things like that, it's actually training you to be more comfortable with that silence and training you to be more comfortable with being alone and quiet without a lot of external stimulation, which is a, is a major part of what I think Christians struggle with. So even if it's something as straightforward as doing a two minute breath exercise with your Apple watch or your Fitbit, um, and learning to just have that comfort of being quiet and still, um, I think that's a beneficial thing for our, our prayer life. So this has been a helpful thing for me. Um, if, if you try it and you think it's helpful, jump in the telegram channel and share your best practices. I think all of us would say that we want to get better at prayer. And, and I think I don't want to be gimmicky about it, but but there are things we can do to train ourselves. So if yeah, you find sure. something that you're trying to do to train yourself to pray better and you think it works, then please share it with others because I'm sure we're all looking for for help in that area. Obviously, nothing is a substitute for just getting in there and praying. Like the, the way you learn to pray is by praying. Right. But you kind of almost have to like, it's kind of like you learn to run by running. Like there's no good way to train to run except to run, but you also have to put your shoes on before you can run. And in in some ways, I think some of these almost like pre-prayer exercises, these training exercises that we can do, it's almost like putting your shoes on and getting ready to run. You have to do something before you before you can learn to pray. You have to like learn how to be quiet and, and just like comfortable I kind of alone with yourself and God, which sounds super charismatic and I didn't mean it to be, but <laughs> I think the listener, I think the one who has ears, ears to hear, let him hear, hears and knows what I'm saying. <laughs> is this, is this a time where we do the altar call? I think it is. I see that hand. <laughs> well, Jesse, how about we see your affirmation? Oh, that was so good. I love that. Well, you uh, inadvertently created a lovely segue into mine because and speaking about running, I'm going to recommend something that, or I guess affirm with in particular, something that I never thought I would actually be into. So let me preface this by saying, I'm just not a massage guy. I mean, I have no problem <laughs> with massages or masseuses or like that profession. Like there's really something noble about that, serving people by helping them with healing and that healing by like literally in some ways, the laying on of hands to help, you know, people who for various reasons and various complexities and magnitudes have issues with their bodies or the muscles. Like, I mean, I can't rub people for a living, but like that, I, that's amazing <laughs> that people, people do that. This is just going sideways really fast. Yeah. Um, but I've never been into that. I think I'm just kind of like, just keep your hands to yourself. So last year I got my wife a gift and it was something that she'd asked for and it was like a massage gun. So this is like a percussive jackhammer style portable gun that she wanted because she is a runner. And, you know, sometimes her muscles are sore and apparently this was better or at least as good as using like a foam roller. If people are yeah. familiar with that, uh, 
process. So she got it. And now I'm affirming it because I've been using it a lot recently and I've really grown to appreciate it. So I'm going to affirm one in particular. And this is the hyper ice. I mean, I like ice, but hyper, hyper ice, hyper volt go. So this is like a portable deep tissue percussion massage gun. And it literally is like a jackhammer for your muscles, which I understand you might in your skepticism say, how could that be pleasant? It is like a strange, pleasant yeah. experience. So it is the kind of thing I never realized until I started using this, like maybe how sore or how tense my muscles are, especially after a run or maybe two or three days after a run. So these things aren't particularly cheap, but what I've discovered is you get what you pay for. And because yeah. again, you're essentially buying a jackhammer, you want this thing to be pretty resilient, pretty powerful. And this sucker is. So the Hypervolt Go, if, if you're somehow in the market for, listen, I would love to loosen up some of my muscles. You can use this bad boy everywhere. I use it mostly on my legs and my feet, but uh, you can use it everywhere if you have you know, somebody in your life who you would like to massage <laughs> where this is going. <laughs> this might be um, a helpful tool because th this is the kind of thing that like, it just kind of gets you in a way that I'm not sure how you'd replicate this with your, your hands. It's, it's just a little bit tough. So uh, I was like pleasantly people surprised. A bunch of times. Yeah. It's, it's like a bunch I mean, of seriously, it's, it's pretty quiet, but it is like super powerful. And yeah. so here's the thing about this is like, I don't know why maybe I'm abnormal. Somebody needs to tell me. Uh, my calves often are like pretty sore, like shockingly sore. So what I found is like, you can, you know, turn this bad boy on and you can set it in that one spot where you're sore. And if you just like can struggle through it, relax, maybe do a little breathing, <laughs> maybe do a little praying and kind of center this jackhammer on that place. Now only after just like maybe a couple of seconds is it open it up, but yeah. when you're done, you feel very different. Like you, yeah. you, it does feel good in like the strangest possible way, if that makes sense. Yeah. I have a, I have a percussion massager. It's a different kind. Um, and it works a little bit differently, but I have a similar one and you're right. Like when you first put it on a sore muscle, it almost hurts more yes. because it's, it's like you're, it's like when you push on any sore muscle, but after a few minutes, like it relaxes, it loosens up. And then I was having really bad problems with my neck for a long time. And, and this just really, really took care of it. Um, I don't know. I don't know the science behind it. I'm not going to pretend to try to know the science behind it, but <laughs> it's basically like a shiatsu massage yes. in, in electronic gun format. So yeah, check yeah. it out. I thought you were going to bust out some like Mark Driscoll, real, real marriage, uh, song of Solomon <laughs> no. advice oh, no. there in a, for a second. Oh. oh no, this, this is less, we, maybe we should be clear about this. I feel like this is just for loosening up your muscles <laughs> and it's it's just it's a real but again yeah. I was like I I don't know why I this is a bit like the olives for me it's one of those things oh, yeah. where like you talk to people especially like I can as a like a particular category I have so many friends who are runners that talk about like sports medicine type massages so whenever we're yeah. talking about like just general and I think there's a lot of amazing things about going to like a spa I think theoretically and like giving a getting a great massage. But if we talk about like those who are like, man, you know, I'm training for a marathon and I go like once a week and I get massage done from like yeah. sports medicine perspective and they talk about it and they're like so joyful about it. They're like, man, you just don't, it's amazing. You, you would love it. And I'm like, would I though? So yeah. like, that's the thing is people speak about it just like when people who like olives talk about eating olives as if it's like this amazing experience. I want to be there. I want to lean into that. Just haven't happened yet. So this is maybe this is my gateway or the bridge. So but, have you have you ever had an actual massage and you just didn't like it, or have you never had a massage? I think that like maybe my massage experiences have been like constrained to like weird 
like quasi faux, not fully orb uh, experiences, yeah. like a massage at the mall or something like that. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? So like I do. I'm judging it by its abuse probably, but I'm generally not good with uh, like other people touching me. So yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe That's the I'm way weird. I used to feel. And then um, my wife bought us a couple's massage at the local spa for like Valentine's day or our, our anniversary or something. Um, so I felt a little bit better about it. Cause I was like, okay, we're doing this together. Like we're both in the room. Yeah, There's like less sure. awkwardness. For and sure. then I got done and I was like, that was amazing. That was like one of the best <laughs> things. Um, and then I got another one. She, she bought me one at that same place for my birthday and I went by myself and it was a little bit awkward again. Um, but then I found out one of the local hospitals has like an integrative medicine department. See, that's and cool. So like they have chiropractic and then yeah. also they have a uh, like an actual massage therapist. Not to say the people who are at the spa aren't licensed massage therapists, but this is like a, a massage therapist who focuses on medical massage. But you can just book a massage. You don't have to have like a referral or anything. Um, and I went and he was like finding, I went because of the problems in my neck. And what he was able to figure out is like, the muscles in my pecs and my shoulder, like on my arm, were all tight. And it was pulling my whole neck out of whack. Mm. So he worked on like my shoulder and my, my cool. pecs and my shoulder blades for like an hour. And I went home and I slept like better than I've slept in a long time. So maybe that's what you need. You need to find somewhere where it feels like you're going to a doctor's visit and it's less yeah. awkward. That's fair. That's that's probably right. And see, wasn't that like a that sounds like it was an amazingly healing process, right? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, yeah. I don't want to make anybody think I'm being like deprecative towards like this that I think it's a noble profession and I think it's a really yeah. amazing thing. It's just my discomfort. I have had like some minimal massaging by way of physical therapy, but yeah. that's like usually like highly localized. So you're yeah. not feeling like I'm not like wearing a towel, just like <laughs> again, see maybe I have like weird views of like massage. Yeah. But with this gun, you can do whatever you way you want and you there are you still go. in control and you don't have to wear a towel. So yep. I mean, sun's out, well, buns out. Exactly. So that could, actually, I realized when I said that, that could go either way. I was thinking of it as you can just keep all your clothes on, but you I realized could, it or came you could off. take all your clothes off if that's how you want to roll with the hyper go, hyper volt, whatever it is. Uh, not a sponsor. All right. Save me, Tony, from this really derailed affirmation. What are you denying again? So I'm, I'm denying th this is, um, it's a little bit of a maybe a niche denial, um, and maybe not. Okay. So I'm denying corporate activism. So we, we live in this culture now <laughs> okay. where um, businesses and corporations feel like they also have to be agents of social change. Sure. And I don't have, I guess I do have, like, it's, it's Pride Month, it's June, it's Pride Month. So, like, every business is now apparently, like, the rainbow is their favorite thing that there is. Um, but it could be anything, right? What it was, it was the war in Ukraine, right? Every every business was suddenly um, totally uh, pro Ukraine and and was all about pro Ukraine um, gun control, right? We've just had this string of uh, terrible mass shootings, um, some of them worse than others, but but just really bad things going on. Um, it could be, you know, we've got the the. Um, uh, Dobbs v. Women's Health or whatever it is, the, the Roe decision that's coming up here from the Supreme Court, or it could be uh, social justice, feeding the poor. I mean, there's all these different social agendas. And all of a sudden, and this is relatively new, it used to actually be that businesses wanted to stay out of this stuff because they wanted not to alienate part of their consumer base. And now it's like they're they're so desperately trying to court the appeal and approval of certain consumers. It's kind of like they don't care about the rest of their consumers. So right. I'm, I'm just denying this because one, it gets to be really just obnoxious. Like I don't, 
I don't necessarily want to have to justify to a business why I don't want to donate money to a certain, like a certain medical center. I'm not talking about the medical center I work at. We don't do that. But like, just an example, like every time I go to Burger King, they ask if I want to donate money to Jude's Children's Center for Cancer Research. And sometimes I just want to buy a burger and I don't want to donate money. Like if I'm going to donate <laughs> right. money, I'm going to do it a different way. So, but I also feel like when the person's like, do you want to, do you want to round up on your meal to save children from cancer? And I'm like, no, it just feels awkward to be like, no, I don't want to save kids from cancer. Cause that's obviously not what you're saying, right. but it's hard too, because it puts us in this position where like every purchase decision we make now is as not even just as Christians, as general people in the consumer market. Now, every purchase decision we make also comes with all of these weird ethical questions and strings attached about what are we supporting with our dollars? Um, plot twist. I don't, I don't actually think that a consumer is culpable for what, a company does with the profits generated from the service or product they provide. So I don't, I think there we go. for the most part, you're free to use, use a service or purchase a product, even if the, that company is going to use the proceeds and the profits from that for wicked things. I don't think that's on you. doesn't mean if you feel convicted, you shouldn't make decisions that way. I just don't think that you're obligated to, but it just gets obnoxious because even, even when it's a cause that you ordinarily would be okay with and you, you want to support, it's still like, I don't necessarily want to be making a, an activist statement with every time I fill up gas at the gas station. Like I just am not interested in that. And it, I think this time of year and it, during pride month, it's especially acute. Um, you know, during black history month, it's especially acute, um, during any, any time that there's like a particular focus on a particular activist cause. Um, it, it's just a really, it's like really in your face. So I'm just denying corporate activism, like just make a good product and then I'll buy your product. And if you want to <laughs> use that money to contribute to a cause, then, then do that. I, then didn't, do I don't, I don't really care if you throw that in my face. It's probably not going to change whether I purchase your product. Some people, I guess it will, but it just it's just obnoxious. It just gets a, a little bit old. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And sometimes, not everybody is like this, but some companies will actually, you know, let's say you're at Burger King and you're buying that burger, which I don't know, for whatever reason right now, that sounds amazingly delicious. I haven't had a Burger King burger in a while, but I feel oh, like man. Flame Boiled was like something I haven't, experience in a while and it's maybe more delicious than i remember yeah i could Is go for a, like a double whopper right now yeah i mean that we're gonna we'll be right incredible. back folks <laughs> <laughs> let's take this show on the road yes um but some places so you're at the counter and you're ordering the burger and they're saying yeah would you like to donate you say okay fine round up or i'll get the two dollars whatever some places will in their like their disclosures or their reporting will basically say well we gave this certain amount of money to that cause when really yeah. it's their customers whom they right. asked but of course you can be a little bit sneaky about that. So I have this theory. This is the episode of me saying I have theories all over the place. <laughs> I have this theory from a financial perspective that because uh, you know most of these, many of the companies that we deal with are corporations. And I'm, I'm sure most people realize that. Basically, the corporation is a legal construct such that it creates like an independent or almost an individual out yeah. of this business entity or purpose that I've had this idea for a long time that eventually we will start by necessity having to judge companies by their individuality. That is, they yeah. will be, because of their capital structure and the legal funding and all the, the laws that protect them and allow them to exist in perpetuity, that they will in sense become individuals and therefore they will be compelled or feel the compulsion to take on individual qualities, right. including things like what they support. So yeah. I think that what you're seeing is like this just outworking of like this individualization to make companies more like people. People have perspectives and convictions and passions yeah. and that companies will feel increasingly compelled, not just because 
of their consumers, but because they're basically people like they exist yeah. legally in perpetuity outside of themselves, apart from any particular person or board or right. management structure. That's the way that they've been created, like, you know, in our financial realm. So I think increasingly as these issues become polarizing, we're going to see that companies feel compelled to express yep. them because they are essentially people that just have a purpose that make money. It's true. It's true. I'm just saying, maybe that's like too, is that too conspiratorial? Uh, I mean, no, the, on the range of conspiratorial <laughs> things, that is definitely not the most conspiratorial. Not to not to sidetrack us too much, but if you want to hear some wacko conspiratorial thinking, just tune into the dividing line lately. It's been like, <laughs> oh man, it's been like over the top. Oh, like, man. I get it. There are oh, people man. that that think like the the COVID stuff was like a government grab. I, okay, I get it. I can actually see a, a little bit of logic behind some of those, and there definitely was power grabs throughout COVID. But it's it's been like, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to go any further. I feel like I don't want to bring down the wrath of James White on us any more than we already have in the past. I'm not on Twitter anymore, so I don't have a lot of interaction with. Him. I don't have any interaction with him. But um, yeah, sorry. That was a maybe. That no, was inappropriate. Was that inappropriate? No, I think that's. Listen, I think people are reasonable. They can judge for themselves. They can go listen and, and hear what's going on there. This is, and we're going to get there in a second. This is all the more reason why we want to continue to make sure that whatever we're doing, whatever we're processing, like we really are passing through the civil scripture. Yeah. That we're praying thoughtfully over it, that we're seeking God's counsel in it. I, I think that that still is kind of undervalued in our world because we want to be experts. We want to say the things we want to say. We want to make it seem like we know what we're talking about. And I think that anybody, this is the thing. Here's the thing. Here's One the more theory. Thing. I have a theory. That is that I just think that generally speaking, human beings just aren't capable of the kind of notoriety that even you can get like on the internet or through TikTok. Oh, yeah. We're not yeah. capable of it. it we, we don't handle it well. And eventually it comes and it burns us down. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is in some ways like the way in which God has created us to constantly draw us back to himself, to have a realization that all our intellect, all our processing, all our intuitive judgment, everything comes from him. And that when James says, you know, seek after these things, like, you know, ask for wisdom, that he's of course insinuating that you just don't have it and you're not going to have it at all. So you have to constantly be asking for it. Like it's an imperative that requires repetition on Monday morning and on Friday morning and yeah. on the Lord's day. So I just think that it's one of those things you get some notoriety and God forbid that we ever have that kind of notoriety that we might feel like we're more important or have the knowledge of things or a corner on the market of some kind of yeah. understanding. It, it's just, man, I just see so many good brothers that just get burned down on that. Yeah. True story. Where what are go? you uh, What are you denying today, Jesse? <laughs> I'll keep it easy and maybe somewhat light and somewhat tongue in cheek. So this is a, a denial with like a slight wrapper, like a slight flavor of affirmation. So of course, I think how many times before have we talked about uh, the Trinity Psalter hymnal? Like I think we talked about that a lot, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've brought it a, co a couple times. Amazing. I app. use it every morning. Yeah. Oh, do you? Okay. So maybe this will resonate with you. Amazing app. Really appreciate it. And it doesn't matter like how musical you are. One of the nice things, and I think you can jump in with me on this, is that you do you have the app? Is that what you're using or are you using the I actual do, yeah. like okay. I thought you were like old school for a second. I was like, oh no. man, you're just reading the music straight up. No, I, I use the app every morning when I sing with August. Okay, that's we, we sing a psalm. We're trying to sing a psalm every morning. How does he do with that? He usually falls asleep. It's that <laughs> time in the morning and it's the, the rocking and the swinging and it's part of why we do it. But yeah. listen, if somebody were going to sing me to sleep, I would love for it to be the psalm. So I think that is an altogether glorious thing. We could do that when we're at the beach if you want. I'll sing you to sleep with some psalms. I would love Do you want me to hold you and rock you too? 
<laughs> as long as you're not massaging me. Yeah, that's totally fine. So I, I, I use this app. It's a great app. Everybody, and I do mean everybody, I don't know why you wouldn't want to check this out. It's fantastic. One of the great things about it is you can either get for each of the, the Psalms, there may be several musical arrangements for more than one musical arrangement for a Psalm, but you can check it out and you'll see that it has either just like the the lyrics the words itself the vocalization part or it does have it's a hymnal so it has like the full you know expression of like all the musical notation my denial is just that why are there so many songs with two sharps which is the key of d i just can't sing in that key and i'm there's like like psalm 16 everybody should go look up psalm 16 one of my favorite um psalms but i think it's like probably like the music piece a it's just like so beautiful, so glorious. It's just too high, too much range. Yeah. So two sharps tends to be that way. I don't know. Have you noticed that? Like when you're singing along, I, I feel like my only critique of that hymnal is that the keys are like a little bit like broad, like there's a pretty broad range in that. Yeah. I wonder how that would play congregationally. Yeah. It's where like for my vocal range, I don't know what you're talking about with two sharps. I don't know anything about music theory. But for my vocal range, a lot of times I'll, I'll be singing like this for part of the psalm. And then I'll be like singing like this for yes, another part. Exactly. That's, like what yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's it. Now, again, it's like on paper and in the ear, it's super beautiful. Because you, like that that dispersion of the notes and that rise and fall, of course, sounds like super glorious. I just find it for like me, and maybe I'm again by myself, like perhaps I am with the massage, that is just too much. So yeah, the F sharp and the C sharp is the key of D is just too much for me, but I really love it. So I still use it and I just, you know, I'm by myself. So I sing it through, but the affirmation in there is that you should definitely check it out. And the beauty of this is you don't have to be a musical person. So the great advantage of the app is that when you select a piece of music, the piano part is played for you and the piano part contains the melody. So it's really not that hard for you to, you can just hit the play button and you can listen to the melody, follow along with the words. I guarantee you will pick it up right away. Yeah. So it's, I think this makes him singing for maybe somebody who doesn't come from that tradition or maybe it's not the current tradition. It gives you exposure and access to it in a way that you feel like you can participate. And what I'm doing is whenever I get the opportunity, especially in like our evening service to lead, is I just smuggle this in. Nobody knows. I'm just smuggling yeah. it in. And because it is traditional hymnody, that is it's written in a way that your ear is going to hear it. If you've heard her hymns before and say, oh, that's a hymn. Yep. that people mostly don't notice and they probably just think like, oh, this is like an amazing hymn. And I'm like, yes, yes, it is. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah, it's a, a psalm hymn and a spiritual song. Yeah, I mean, I think the beauty of, <laughs> and this is just the strength of hymnody as a whole versus choruses and all sorts of stuff is people feel like, oh, it's so repetitive. Well, that that's like the point is like the repetitiveness of the song and the tune teaches the congregation to sing the song. So right. like you might have a, you might have a psalm that has you sing, you know, eight times you repeat the same the same melody line with different words. Well, the first couple times you're going to be warbling on those notes trying to figure out where they are, but usually by like the second or third time going through, you have learned the melody and you're you're nailing it and you're anticipating it. So I I, I can't recommend that app enough. And it also you actually have a, a full access to all the hymns too with the, the accompaniment too. So even if you're not even if you're a little bit uncomfortable singing psalms, which I I kind of feel like it, it feels a little bit of a weird practice. Like it's something that a lot of Christians aren't used to singing Psalms. It feels, 
I don't know what I don't know why, but it's it's I've heard multiple people tell me that like singing the Psalms feels a little bit uncomfortable, like almost like it's like like it's a Jewish thing to do. It's a deeply Christian thing to do, but it For feels sure. a little bit weird. Well, there's also a full range of of modern and historical hymns that are available in there as well. Um, I mean, there's Getty songs that are part of the Trinity Psalter hymnal. Right. Yep. Um, there's all sorts of stuff. So it's a, it's really good for family devotions, for your own private devotions. Um, sometimes when I'm at work and I just need to like have a second to like calm down, maybe I have like a really rough phone call with a patient or have a bad interaction with a, a, a colleague or something like that. Or I'm just having a rough day. Sometimes I'll just play the music and I'll just read the words with the music as a chance right to like, decompress. Um, just t- kind of go back to like meditation. Like sometimes you just need exactly. to have a little bit of help and structure to get in, get your mind in the right mindset. So for those of you looking at the clock, wondering how are we going to approach Christology <laughs> when we're already 36 minutes in, fear not uh, careful listener. Uh, we're going to be in the subject Here of Christology go. probably for at least five or six weeks, if not longer. So this, yes. we, we've, you know, we went through some of the early um, phases of systematic theology very quickly. We went, you know, we spent two or three weeks on something we could have expanded out. This is not a subject that we want to to rush through. Um, Christology, obviously, is a central doctrine to Christianity. As Jesse said earlier, if you get Christology wrong in a certain way or to a certain extent, you're not even talking about Christianity anymore. Um, right. So it's extremely important. It's extremely central. And it's it's just really, really important to take our time and to do it right. And before we do that, I want to recommend a couple uh, quick resources. So we have had this ongoing sponsorship with uh, Logos Bible Software, and the good news is that the fundamentals package that we were so eager to promote that was a special last month is still currently going to be on sale uh, through the month of June. I know we had some people asking us about that in the Telegram channel. It looks like they're keeping that promotion on through June, so you can get your Logos base package for $50 if you don't have another base package. But they also have a whole set of featured, um, featured discounted items. And this month, a lot of the featured items are the works of Augustine of Hippo. And one of the, um, one of the, um, uh, one of the books they have is actually his teaching on Arianism and other heresies. Um, I, do, I already own it, so it's not giving me the discounted price, but it's like 50% off for most of them. So you can probably get this for probably around $20, which is a really good deal, $25, something like that. Um, there's also stuff like they have a, a he has a book called Teaching on uh, De Doctrina Christian, Christiana, which is on Christian teaching, which has a lot of good basics and fundamentals. Uh, and then they have a special uh, promotion on the Trinity, Doctrine of the Trinity, um, which you can get for only $12. And this isn't the normal uh, NPNF or I suppose ANF, the, the Nicene Post-Nicene Fathers by Philip Schaff. It's not that translation, which is was good at the time, but it's a little bit clunky. This is the... Um, the uh, Fathers of the Church series, which is a super, super good and easy to read translation. Um, it, it reflects a really good understanding of Latin um, and a really good translation from Latin into English. So you should check that out. Um, I'll have a link up on the uh, website. It'll be uh, Logos June 2022 to go to this featured resources site. Or if you're interested in the fundamental package, the link from last month is Logos May 2022. Uh, that'll still work uh, through the end of the month. And if they've changed the the affiliate link on that, um, I'll update it so you can still go to our uh, our website version. Or if you're just looking to purchase uh, a regular base package that's not one of the discounted ones, you can go to reformbrotherhood.com slash Logos, uh, and you'll be able to get a link directly to where you can purchase that. You get 15% off a base package and five books uh, for free from a selection of options. So this is a really good, a really good tool. 
Um, you have access to a lot of stuff with any of the base packages, um, a full range of different Bible translations. Some of the confessional documents are in there, depending on which level you get. Um, so really just check it out because it's important to have good resources as you're doing this because Christology, we'll get into some of this when we, we get into later episodes. Christology, Trinitarian theology, these are things that if we try to do these without the sort of the guardrails that the historic church has already provided for us, we really can run into problems. That is not to say um, that we we interpret the Bible. I know some, there's been some some hubaloo about some people online that I actually think are probably right but are being misread. It's not to say that the Nicene Creed, for example, is the filter that Scripture comes to us through. Right? We we come to the Scriptures, we read the Scriptures. The Nicene Creed helps us to understand what the Church has said historically and is a faithful representation of the theology that the church has distilled out of the Bible now for 2,000, well, 1,700, 1,800 years now. So we would be fools to disregard that and not recognize the wisdom of the historical church. Um, and, and so we need to have these good resources as we approach this, or we end up with some really weird squirrely stuff. We end up with some weird canonic Christology that we think is just fine, that ends up actually being heretical. We end up with weird Trinitarian errors. We end up with all sorts of stuff. So check out those Lagos packages. You can get all the historical theology resources you want. You can buy individual books if there's something specific that you're looking for that they have. Um, and you can get a pretty good discount if you use one of those affiliate links. So let me make the case for why that we need more Christology or like a clear or refreshed, so to speak, like teaching in Christology, because I don't even think we have to go to like the weird kind of nuanced, Right. I would say like deep derivative heretical level to like see how this thing has like all got twisted and turned around and why there is a need. So here's again, me making some kind of like, you know, statement of I have a hypothesis or a theory. And we're, of course, we're talking about the doctrine of Christology. We're really talking about the person and work of Christ, most simply. But that is, man, such a deep and amazing well. So that's why, like you said, we're going to spend lots and lots of episodes speaking about that because it's worthy of that kind of attention and devotion. And we're talking about like this confession that the true God of all creation is triune. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That itself is rooted deeply in the soil of Christian theology. So we have right. this to stand on, at least. Like We're talking about the fact that from the beginning, this mattered. And of course, as like most people know, they listen to us for any length of time. There's like a series of writings and councils which spearheaded in the early church this prominent group to say, and this group ranging from like Athanasius to Cyril of Alexandria, to defend the traditional doctrine of the both God being manifest in Jesus Christ as is truly God and truly man, and basically ruling everything else, all the competing teachings like out of bounds. And to your point, that was that's already been done for us. Like what a time to be alive where we can go back and look at that and see all that articulated and enumerated in really profound and accessible ways to help us so that we don't ourselves have to go through all of that stuff. So all those key doctrines that people are trying to take notes at home were really crystallized in what we talked about before, Nicene Creed and like the Chalcedonian definition. But here's to my point. Those debates, maybe some of us like to think they've gone away, but they really haven't. So like, here's an example like that, that can happen to you in any given week that happened to me recently. Outside the church, you know, like Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons reject the Christian teaching that Jesus is fully divine. 
So for instance, like the translation of the Bible used by Jehovah's Witnesses, the New World Translation, famously, or maybe infamously rather, renders John 1.1, many people have heard this, as the word was a God. You know, ascribing to Jesus the status of God-like or quasi-angelic being, but nothing more. And then while the Quran in some cases affirms some true facts about Jesus, such as like his birth to Mary and his role as a prophet, Islam holds that the confession of Jesus as fully divine son of God is the unforgivable sin because it describes like a partner or equivalent to Allah. Yeah. And so like there's all of that. And then even within the church, Jesus is often taken to be like an ideal human or a best, or perhaps simply a good teacher, especially within that kind of like mainland denominations. Here's why loved ones, we still need Christology. Like that's not a foregone conclusion that we're all thinking about Christology as something that's important, something that's a well-defined, something that has been clearly articulated and something that we like hang our hat on and we lean into in terms of our belief system. And that it's like totally transparent and we're all thinking the same thing. Not only, of course, we find that there's massive differences in those outside of the church and by way of fact, because many of those groups proselytize so vehemently with such, I want to say almost like aggression or passion that we have to be able to articulate our position and to be able to explain why the Bible does not teach what they believe. In addition to that, even within our own families, there is often sometimes either at best, I would say like a lack of interest in what it means to understand God in Jesus Christ as truly human, truly God. But beyond that, there's some that would disagree that those two positions hold together at all. We have to take this seriously. So hence why I guess all this episode is, is prolegomena. I think, Tony, we had set this aside or slayed this as speaking about Jesus as truly God. Yeah. Let's see how much of that we can get to <laughs> in the time that remains. Yeah. But we have to, we have to start there, right? I think that's, that's a fair place to begin is the Bible is like, this is the only cliche I have, chock full of a very clear expression that Jesus is is truly God and truly man. And the last thing I'll say before I, I let you comment is that um, it's been my tradition, and I'm not the first one to do this, to move away from this language of fully, just because like as a person that deals with numbers, I find fully, especially for most people and the human brain generally to be tremendously confusing and a distraction. So yeah. like, I, I don't, I'm not certainly not downplaying anybody who uses that as like heretical. I get why we're saying that we're trying to express that something is entirely or wholeheartedly or consistently or in its fullness, something, and then also something else. But like, this is where we get into like hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. That's why you're going to hear me say probably throughout the time that we're talking about Christology, truly, just because we're talking about an emphasis of it really is. Jesus really is God. Jesus really is man. And so I just find like the fully thing a little bit uh, as of like more confusing because we we want to think about numbers or component parts and truly helps us like in this weird kind of like turn of semantic language move away from that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And then this will end up being mostly a prolegomena kind of episode because it, it we do have to, like I said, we'd have to, uh, we have to put on our shoes before we can run. And, and this is yeah, one of those things sure. where we want to set up the conversation well so that we're, we're established and set up for success. And that's exactly right. Is that a lot of times we use this language of fully God, fully man, or we talk about that God is, you know, Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. And we don't mean to, but we introduce these categories where now Christ is 200% of something. Well, well, if you have 100% God and 100% man, then you're actually kind of veering into like a form of Nestorianism, which we'll get to, where you right. have you have a full a full God 
God, God in his fullness and you have a man in his fullness and they're smashed together. Well, now you have two persons. So language, language and getting our language right is extremely, extremely important in this. And one of the things just to sort of maybe set up our conversation, not next week, we've got a special surprise coming for you next week, but the week after that, um, we're going to talk about what it means first that Christ is truly God. And the thing that I think people don't realize is that all of our reasoning about Jesus, about about the Christ, about the incarnate God-man, starts with the presupposition and flows out of the fact that he is truly and fully God, truly, completely, genuinely, actually God. Yes. And I just just to sort of demonstrate this, I want to read from the Westminster Larger Catechism, because I think one of the problems, and you, you said it well, one of the problems is that the modern church, particularly coming out of, uh, out of liberalism, um, and influenced by liberalism, and we're all influenced by people like Schleiermacher um, and S.C. Bauer. We're all influenced by those people in kind of German higher critical liberalism uh, a lot more than we realize. So it's important for us to, to establish this and set it backwards, which is why the the um, confessions are so important. But we think about and we start our reasoning with Christ as an idealized man who is somehow also God. And right. we adopt, we adopt, forgive the pun, we adopt this sort of nascent adoptionism where we start out with Christ as, as man. And we sort of like, then we figure out how it could be that Christ is also God. This is sometimes called Christology from below. We start with Christ as the incarnate person, as the, as the man. And then we reason to, okay, well, what does it mean for that man to be God? Our confessional statements, the Westminster Confession, the Westminster Catechisms, the the three forms of unity, the creeds, the Chalcedonian definition, all of these things actually start out with the the Son is God, and the miracle of the incarnation is not how can a man be God, but how can it right. be that God became man? And so just to demonstrate this, this is um, question 36 of the Westminster Larger Catechism. Who is the mediator of the covenant of grace? Right? It seems like a straightforward question about the incarnation. Uh, the only mediator of the covenant of grace is the Lord Jesus Christ, who, being the eternal Son of God, one of one substance and equal with the Father, in the fullness of time became man, and so was and continues to be God and man in two entire distinct natures and one person forever. The next question is, how did Christ, being the Son of God, become man? So the first question uh, that the Westminster divines feel they need to talk to you about in both the Westminster Larger Catechism and the Shorter Catechism, and in a certain way in the Confession, Chapter 8 on the Mediator starts out also talking in this way. They they start out by establishing, first, Christ is fully God. They don't defend that. They don't argue for it. They don't even really explain it. They just state it. But then now they're trying to say, like, okay, now, now that we've got that, what is it now? How is it that we move forward to understand how could it be that Christ now became man? And what does it mean that Christ became man? This is the same thing historically that happened in the early church. The Arian controversy, it feels like it's a Christological controversy. In actuality, it's a Trinitarian controversy because Arius didn't, didn't deny any of the classical ideas of what the incarnation was. He didn't, he, they weren't really talking about those things, but he didn't really deny a lot of those things. He, the idea of like this, this divine entity, this first greatest creature starting out in a spiritual estate with all these spiritual qualities and then adding to himself all these human qualities. That wasn't actually something that Arius had a big problem with. His problem was with the son being fully God, truly God. Right. And so the the church started off with these controversies around, let's establish and defend that Christ 
that that the Son, the second person of the Trinity, is truly, genuinely God in the same way and the same sense that the Father is and the Holy Spirit, which came later historically. Then once they establish that, now they also have to defend, okay, well, now that we've established he's truly God, is he actually truly man or is he like sort of only kind of man? Well, they establish he, he's truly man. And then they started to say like, okay, well, now that he's truly God and truly man, how does that work? Is he is he like mostly God and partially man? Is is the humanity swallowed up in the divinity? How does that work? And then finally they had to say, okay, well, now, now that we've established that he's not, he is truly and fully God and truly and fully man, is that because he's two persons smashed together? So that's the kind of course of discussion we're going to take in this first part. We might call the metaphysics of the incarnation. Right. Those are the next probably three, four, maybe five episodes of us trying to unpack each of those sort of steps and give you good foundational doctrine and explanations and biblical defenses of each of these points. So that's what's coming down the pipe. After that, we're going to start to talk a little bit about like, okay, now that we've got that, what does that mean? How, how does that actually function in terms of Christ as the mediator and our redeemer? What What's the right. work of Christ? So Christology is typically broken up into the person of Christ, which is what I'm calling kind of the metaphysics of the incarnation, and then the work of Christ, which is the atonement, the the redemption of man. Um, and that'll kind of naturally lead into, into future subjects. The Reformed Brotherhood, the only podcast where we will talk about what we're going to talk about. <laughs> you got to. You got to clear you your to. throat before you talk. Yeah, you have to. I, and that's why I make fun of it. But it, it's like, it, it may, well, it may not make for like amazing podcasting. It does make for like amazing preparation because these things, so this is what strikes me about Christology is it's like the only thing or one of the only things that will simultaneously save you from saying things like Jesus is my home, homeboy and Jesus is Lucifer's brother. Yeah. Like those two things are like on opposite ends of the spectrum, but all of that gets corrected by correct Christology. And yeah. it's it just, there's, there's so much about Jesus. We want to celebrate. We want to appreciate. We want to worship. And we really, 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 really need to get it right. And the amazing thing about this is it doesn't take a lot of work, so to speak. I mean, you could from wrong. It's, it's just really about coming into the scriptures and understanding what it says forthrightly and plainly about who Jesus is. Yeah. And of course, like that is a well we can continue to plumb and we'll find as we pull up these buckets, this like sweet and refreshing water at various steps. And as God gives us the ability and the wisdom, as we talked about before, to discern those things, we will appreciate and receive them because he has given them to us as good gifts. But it's the kind of thing that like a child can understand and accept. And so also can adult with all kinds of study as God gives them the ability to understand. So I'm in this mode right now. As we're entering the summer, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, and it's June, and I'm thinking about the Vacation Bible School, and we're working on music for that, and we have this song, which we primarily play, which I really love, and it's called, maybe people are familiar with this, it's called Give Me a J. So the way this works is the leader will spell out, so go through the letters of Jesus, and the antiphonal cry of the kids is to them to respond. So the leader will say, give me a J. And then the kids will say, J, you got your J, you got your J. And then it's like, give me an E. And they'll go, E, you got your E, you got your, and they'll go through it. At the end of that, there's all this excitement. And then this is antiphonal back and forth of what's that spell? And they'll say, Jesus. And they'll say, King of Kings, Jesus, Lord of Lords, Jesus, fully God, Jesus. This song is good Christology. It's everything wrapped up. And in that moment, as we're worshiping God and his son, what we're expressing is that all of this matters to us in all areas of life. Yeah. That he is that great high priest, that he is truly 100% God in that sense. He is truly 100% man. And to see kids lean into that and to understand it in a profound way and to worship unreservedly with all that comes with like 
a profound knowledge of Christology that is beyond their little minds, but God has given it to them is like one of the best things ever. Yeah. So like there's so much for us in what we're about to talk about here, because it really isn't just about how can you get smarter about explaining what Christology is, but how can we tune our hearts to sing the praise of the one who has come yeah. and redeemed us? And then on Tuesday morning, go out and live a life of piety connected to Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit because we have a more deeper and profound understanding. So yeah, this to me is like so much at the center of what it means to live like this abundant Christian life is really to come close and draw close to Jesus. And though Christology sounds fancy, I'm, I guess it is, but man, I've seen kids get this in a profound way that I wish that I had. Yeah. So I'm just going to say, give me a J. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, that's the goal of this whole fundamental series, but I think especially this Christology section yes. is to give the listener a clear foundation of what these doctrines are and to demonstrate how important they are. And also to recognize like a lot of these Christological errors that are really just rampant in the church now, they, they mean they never went away, but they seem to be making a resurgence among strange semi-reformed Baptist circles in Alabama. Um, no shade there. <laughs> wow. It's um, very specific. It's very specific. I have nothing specific <laughs> in mind. Um, a lot of times just simply like stepping back a little bit and like getting back to the, like the basic structure of the doctrine right. And exactly. finding those like four kind of four poles. Like if you think of, think of that, you know, kind of an axis, there's two, two axes on a graph. You have like fully God, fully man is one, one axis. It's like, it's like the continuum, I guess, but it's not really a continuum. And then you have, um, not divided and not, not separated, right? You have those, those four points and getting back to those kind of like compass points really is enough to keep you from most of these stupid errors that are out there. Right. right? And not, I, we'll talk about this. It's probably going to come up more on my surprise show next week, but James White, not to get back to James White too much. He has this weird thing that he's doing now where he's defending this, this Christology that he really doesn't seem to understand is just canonic Christology. He actually said on one episode that the son, not just according to his humanity, really truly didn't know the day or the hour. That, that that was him as a person didn't know, not just located in his human nature. Well, that's that's the canonic heresy. Like that's that's the divine nature of Jesus losing knowledge. Well, if you if you simply just affirm Jesus is fully God, truly God, and everything that means, so then of course he he knew in one sense and didn't know in another sense. You've you've avoided that. So so right. many of these errors and and issues and whether they're heretical issues or whether they're just errors or, or kind of heterodox statements or confusion, whatever they might be, getting back to these sort of simple four cardinal points of Christology, a lot of times is enough just to get your terminology straight so you avoid these issues. So we want to give you some basic, straightforward language to use that helps to establish these doctrines and make sure you're speaking about them clearly, because how we speak often shapes how we think. And then we want to talk about the foundation of these doctrines and how they actually make a difference in terms of what you believe and what, what it means for then going forward, what it means for the salvation of, of the elect, right? Because Christ as our mediator is a prophet, a priest, and a king. Well, as our mediator, Christ is fully God and fully man or truly God and truly man in two distinct natures and one person forever. But right. as our mediator, as truly God in two distinct natures, 
and truly man in two distinct natures and one person forever. That's how Christ is our prophet, priest, and king. Right on. Not not as God, not as man, but as God right and on. man, fully, truly, genuinely. He's so we have to get this part right if we're ever going to have a hope to get right of what Jesus has done for us. We have to understand who and what Jesus is and how in whatever limited way we can, in whatever way God lists to us in the revelations of the Bible, we have to get that right if we're going to understand what it is that Christ has done for us. Because that's that's the common refrain throughout all of the controversies in the early church. Jesus had to be who and what he was in order to do what he did to save his people in the way that the Bible describes. If you get one of those points wrong, then you no longer have the Christ that's described in the Bible. And that Christ that you have now couldn't possibly save any of us the way that the Bible describes. So this is imminently right. practical, even though it sounds and feels very theoretical. So if you're, if you're kind of getting that like, oh man, we're going to talk about metaphysics. I don't know that I like that. That seems very Greek. Hang in there with us. I mean, I think you've been with us long enough probably that you know we're going to get to the shoe leather eventually. It's probably just going to take a couple months at this point. <laughs> point in Christology. <laughs> Man, you were dangerously close to, if anybody's heard This American Life, you were dangerously close to their stay with us. Stay with us. Stay with us. But that's a really good call for the podcast. So yes, loved ones, join us. Can, continue to hang out because we got some good stuff coming up. And you're, I mean, nobody's going to be disappointed. You can't be disappointed because this is free. Yeah, it's true. But that also, as we close, is at one of the things I want to say as a good reminder is we're so thankful for everyone who participates by way of conversation and prayer and interaction in the podcast. This, again, as you've heard us say time and time again, is not something that Tony and I dreamed up so that we could just speak or talk at one another, but to build in some ways a community around processing reform theology together. So we're thankful for everybody. And, you know, for many, you receive this because there are some who, after they've taken a look at all the finances ahead of them and they've given uh, appropriately to their church or local congregations, they've said, you know what, I want to help the Reformed Brotherhood to make sure that it remains free and that they can cover their hosting costs and their placement and equipment needs. And so we're so thankful everybody has gone out to patreon.com and has done that. That is really why, I mean, I can say unequivocally, that is really why all of this remains free and accessible and downloads in a reasonable speed. And as sometimes people for me say, it doesn't sound like we're talking like in a wind tunnel or in a tin yeah. can. If it's pleasant, it's because there's brothers and sisters who have come alongside and said, you know what? I'm willing to support that to make sure that it continues to move forward. So thank you so much. We're really, really appreciative. And I think, I really think everybody is. I mean, you yeah. just don't know those people, but everybody's thankful. It's true. Well, Jesse, we've already gone long enough and we've spent the last 40 minutes clearing our throats and getting ready to talk. So we're going to give you a little break and we will, um, we'll be back. Like I said, I've got a special treat planned for next week, but we'll be oh, back with yeah. this, uh, with the beginning of our Christology series in earnest uh, the following week. Next week's going to be a Christology week too, but it's going to be a little bit different. I'm really excited about it, but you're going to have to wait until then to hear about it. So <laughs> it's like the longest like set up for that. It was so, it was so good. <laughs> <laughs> it was so here's the thing that was a setup in a setup it was Natriska dolls like nested in each other it was like listen good Christology is coming but you know what's better something that's coming next week that isn't Christology that's also going to be really really good but it is Christology well every week is Christology yes. but I, I hear what you're saying like yes. of course like that's the air we breathe and the that's water true. we swim in but not oceans true no 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 don't we're, we're all done we need to we need to stop we're gonna we're gonna be on this train for a while we're gonna start to loop again. So I'm just going to put an end to it. Jesse, until next time, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Brotherhood.